So, you know, in, in order to fall into the category of, of having been a member here for 40 plus years, you would have had to have joined the church in uh, 1978 or uh, earlier or, or thereabouts. And so, you know, it's kind of fun to think about how Fort Lauderdale and life in the United States has changed in that amount of time. So I want to just take a look back. And I, I pulled some of these uh, facts from a website called peoplehistory.com. There's some interesting stuff on there if you want to check it out. But in 1978, the original Star Wars movie was still a hit in theaters. Uh, also, and coincidentally, Greece was a hit movie at that time as well. And so you can celebrate that by buying some tickets right after this service. The Wheel of, uh, Wheel of Fortune was in only its fourth season uh, in syndication on television. The video game Space Invaders officially rang in the video game era and begin the craze that is video games. The average cost of a new house in 1978 was just under $55,000. Average monthly rent was $260. An 8-track player cost $169. I know, right? An 8-track player. Uh, The cost of a gallon of gas had reached an all-time high of 63 cents a gallon. And for those Star Wars fans, your Star Wars family pajamas were $6.49. I'm not sure why that was on the list, but I liked it, so I put it in. So how has the way that we think about church changed over that course of time? You know, what, what even is church? Uh, you know, is it an idea uh, just a concept? Is it you know, a, a building? Is it the people? What is church? And our scripture this morning has something to say about that question. And we're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke in the Revised Common Lectionary. And we're picking up in chapter 5. So we've actually skipped over the rest of chapter 4 where we left off last week. And we pick up in chapter 5. And I want to read that for you now. I invite you to turn in your Bible that maybe you brought from home. Or you can read it uh, up here. But beginning at verse 1, it says, Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. And the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left him, they left everything. And followed him. Friends, this is the word of God. 
So here in this passage in Luke 5, we find Jesus teaching outside. He's left the confines of the synagogue where we left him last week. Now, a brief word about that in this passage, if, if we were uh, to, to read it, or in fact, if you weren't here last week, I just kind of want to review quickly. Jesus, we found Jesus in Nazareth in, in what presumably would have been his home synagogue, and he's preaching there, and he preaches this radical message that the kingdom of God is for all people. And, and how do the people respond? His friends, his family, people that knew him growing up, they grab him and they try and throw him off of a cliff. And so it would seem in reading today's text as Jesus teaches by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, it was, it was also called, that Jesus has decided that the synagogue is no longer the place for him. And we might even infer that Jesus is calling into question the usefulness of institutionalized religion. And if we were to draw that conclusion, it would be erroneous. And, and frankly, here is the weakness of the Revised Common Lectionary. I, I talk about uh, a lot about how much I, I really um, love the work that has been done putting together the Revised Common Lectionary by, um, by, by church leaders from a number of different denominations prayerfully piecing together this three-year cycle. But one of the problems that we get is that we do not read it straight through. That is, in the Gospels, we, we do some skipping. So in year C, we're working through Luke, but we skip over some stuff. And what we miss, after they try and throw Jesus off of a cliff, in the rest of Luke 4, Jesus goes back to teaching in synagogues. Jesus moves to Capernaum, and he teaches there. And, and chapter 4 concludes... With, with, with the writer saying that, that Jesus teaches in synagogues all over Judea. So Jesus' teaching out by the sea is not a passive condemnation of institutionalized religion, but rather what we see is just a simple way to reach more people. But this perceived critique, I think, appeals to many of us, or, or at least uh, those of us here in, in America in a postmodern world. Gallup polls reported in, in 2017 in this Washington Post article by Bill Bishop. They indicate that in, the, in around the late 70s, uh, when our 40-year uh, members would have joined, that more than 65% of Americans trusted organized religion. That number uh, is now down to almost under 40%. But the institution of religion is not the only victim of distrust. Public schools the financial system, and Congress all suffer a similar distrust among Americans. In fact, Congress had plummeted to below 10%. Um, but Jesus here is not uh, preaching uh, to denounce the institution of religion. In fact, what we see when we, we look at Jesus' interaction with church leaders, or, or I should say synagogue leaders or religious leaders uh, throughout the area, is Jesus saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The kingdom of God is like this. This is what this is supposed to look like. We were created to work in community. And so in chapter 5 here, a crowd has gathered, and, and they're pressing in on Jesus as he's trying to teach on the shore. And so Jesus makes this really intelligent move as, as he gets out onto one of the boats. And if you look at uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's the shoreline is composed of all of these narrow inlets here in this area where Jesus was teaching. And they formed like a natural amphitheater. 
And so Jesus moves out onto the boat and goes just off of shore, and he turns around, and now the water can magnify his voice so all can hear. Over the summers, we go to a, a little house on a lake up in North Carolina, and we have to be very careful at night uh, because you can very easily hear the conversations of people from all the way across the lake who are speaking in conversational tones. And so I imagine this is exactly what this was like, that Jesus was talking just like this, and the amphitheater, this natural area, amplifies his voice in this engaging way. And so Jesus, the Word made flesh, he sits down in this boat and he begins to teach the Word. You know, I love that today is Scottish Sunday. We're, we're going to be you know, honoring our heritage across the street in, in a little bit. Um, but that's all kind of comes out of this, what we call reformed worship and, and the Reformation. But we are a, a reformed denomination. And one of the things that that means is we put this really high value on the word of God. And in fact, our worship service really revolves around the preaching and teaching of the Word of God because we believe of the power that it possesses. And so they believe this same thing. In fact, last week, when Jesus brought the Word of God, something crazy happens, and they try and throw him off of a cliff. And, and today... In our passage, there are some also crazy things that happen in response. And, and what follows the teaching are these two interactions between Jesus and Simon Peter, each followed by something miraculous. In the first, Jesus speaks and Simon responds and a miracle occurs. And then Peter speaks, Jesus responds, and a miracle occurs. So I want to take a closer look. You see, when, when Jesus is done teaching, he tells Simon to put out into the deep water. In essence, he says, let's go fishing. Now, it's daytime, and the gospel writer tells us they've been out fishing all night. This was their job. And so they've been out doing their job all night long with no success. And then here comes this teacher telling them how to do their job better. Have you ever had somebody come along and tell you how to do your job? <laughs> Have you ever had somebody come along and tell you how to do your job on a bad day? <laughs> yeah. So you can imagine what that might have been like. And so what happens here? Simon, who will later be called Peter, utters a reluctant response, which echoes still today. Yet if you say so. Now that's not the reply of an enthusiastic follower. Yet if you say so. Use that the next time that you don't agree with your boss's strategy. Yet if you say so. And it's not the response that we expect from a man who will go on to lead the early church in the book of Acts. Yet if you say so. It, it's not enthusiastic. It's acquiescence. A reluctant agreement to follow. And what happens? Well, a miracle, of course. There's this miraculous catch. There are so many fish that the boats begin to sink. Peter's reluctant agreement 
is met with a miracle. And then there's this second interaction where Peter falls to his knees and he exclaims, go away from me for I am a sinful man. So Jesus speaks, Peter reluctantly responds and a miracle occurs. And in response to that, Peter falls to his knees and says this, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And I think if we're not reading carefully, we miss how Jesus replies here. Amy and I were on a trip a couple of summers ago, and we went to visit a chocolate factory. Uh, We went on this tour, I think mostly because you assume when you visit a chocolate factory, you're going to get to eat free chocolate. And, And so we were on this tour, and there were a couple of other families that were on it with us, and they had little ones who were following along, I think also getting impatient about the chocolate. And these two siblings began to antagonize one another. And the further along we went, the louder that got, and you could see the tension. You could see the parents getting more and more uncomfortable. In an attempt to squelch all of that, the father picks up one of the children and hopes to separate him from the other one, I assume, and stop what is happening. And then the child hit him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that was my reaction, Dan. And Amy, all the while, is doing this number, telling me to stop staring. And as they passed by us, just a few short moments later, I heard the father whisper in a hushed, angry tone, touch me again, and you're going to have a really bad day. <laughs> Whew, some of you have been there. <laughs> I hear that in the laughter. But you can feel the anger in that response. And I think if we're honest, for many of us, this is how we think that God responds to our sin. With the raised backhand of an angry father. Our expectations for how God will respond to us is colored by our own experiences of people in authority reacting imperfectly. And again and again through the gospel, that is not what we deserve, or excuse me, what we observe. God allows us to live as we choose, but hopes that, like Simon, will fall on our knees and confess. And how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to, to, to Simon's confession? He doesn't say, do it again and you'll have a bad day. He doesn't say, yeah, you are a sinner. Jesus doesn't even say, thank you. Jesus responds to Simon Peter's confession in the same way that the angel responds to Mary when she is telling her that she is going to bring the word of God into the world. Jesus responds saying, do not be afraid. And then he says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. And then again, something miraculous happens. This yet if you say so, this sinner leaves everything to follow Jesus. On the shore of this lake, this reluctant sinner leaves everything to follow Jesus 
And so, here we are. We sit here today in this church because of the reluctant response of a sinner. In celebrating our traditions, our collective stories, the faithfulness of members, we celebrate what Jesus has done and is doing with the yet, if you say so, of these reluctant sinners. What we see in Peter is a reluctant sinner turned into a devoted disciple. Jesus changes his heart and seeks to do the same with you and me because the kingdom of God is for all people. We need but to acquiesce. So what does that look like for you? What are those things that God wants you to simply acquiesce to? Not jump for joy and jump into, but simply to respond, yet if you say so. Maybe it was just showing up today. Maybe it's to finally make a decision to grow deeper in your faith. As you walk out of worship today, you'll find a table where I have volunteers signing up people to go on Presbyterian pilgrimage, an experience where God is calling to you to go deeper in your faith. You simply need to respond, yet if you say so. Maybe it's jumping into a service project, a service ministry here at First Presbyterian Church. This next Saturday, we've got a Habitat bike ride. We're getting ready to build our 20th house. That's what we're raising funds for. It's amazing. Yeah. Is God calling you to be a part of this ministry, to simply say, yet if you say so, I'll show up and I'll bike? Or is it finally joining one of our men's and women's Bible studies, a small group, one of our Wednesday night live classes? Show up here on a Wednesday night, six o'clock, eat some dinner, and we'll find a class for you. Simply respond, yet if you say so. Because, friends, when we interact with the Word of God, we open the door for the miraculous to occur. We'll take reluctance. Because God will take your, yet if you say so, and he'll catch a boatload of fish. Because, friends, it's a good day to be here at First Presbyterian Church of Fort Lauderdale, here in this place, Jesus' creation, out of a bunch of reluctant sinners. What miraculous thing will happen here next? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks for being a God that takes reluctant sinners like us and turns it into something beautiful. God, you are at work in each and every heart here in this room. Lord, I would just ask that for each of us, that, Lord, you would speak clearly. God, that we would hear what it is, that thing, that next step, that next area, that next ministry that you are calling us to be a part of, that you want us to join in with, that you want to work through us in to bring about something miraculous here in the heart of Fort Lauderdale, at First Presbyterian Church, because God, we believe that is what you are doing. Lord, we hand this all over to you in Christ's name. Amen.